Years ago, uh, I was reading a biography on George Mueller, and I actually fell in love with that man. Uh, a man who lived in the 1800s. He was originally an evangelist and would go from door to door, would be out in the street corners, would do all kinds of things in his evangelism. Eventually, he became a director of an orphanage called Ashley Down. And that's where most of the story takes place that I'm reading is him as an uh, a, a, a overseer of this orphanage with these children in there. And you say, well, why would he have to do that? It was the Industrial Revolution, folks. And children were basically cast out into the street. Parents didn't really want them back. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, there was thousands and thousands of these kids walking the streets. Before he died, there was five different houses that cared for the spiritual upbringing of these children, their, spirit, their physical provision. And in essence, uh, uh, it's estimated that he has taken care of 10,000 children just under his own time period that he was there, 10,000 children. George Mueller supported these children in their homes he rate, that they were raised in to the tune of, uh, and I'm going to put it in British pounds, okay, but in today's money it would be 113 million British pounds. Now the American dollar is more than that. So that's how much money it took to run this orphanage, uh, orphanages, all, all of them. This is an incredible amount of support, and Mueller did it, and by not even soliciting funds for it. He didn't solicit any funds. They just, they would come in. Uh, he watched God working all the time. Uh, there'd be nights where he would go to sleep, praying that there would be milk for the children in the morning, and the milk truck would break down outside. And in those days, they had ice blocks to take care of the milk, and so the guy who's Driving the truck said, i got to get rid of this milk. Here is an orphanage. Let me bring it to him. So things like that would happen. And, and that sort of excited me to see the hand of God working in this man's life and in the life of those children even. Um, Mueller for sure saw the grace and the mercy of God in his life. George Mueller was a man of prayer. He was a man of devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact... I just recently found out, I didn't find out from that book, that he was one of the instigators of the, uh, the beginning of the Plymouth Brethren denomination. And I have had opportunity back in 1992 to preach in a Plymouth Brethren church. You don't normally get to do those kinds of things. They don't like outsiders. Uh, but I've had that opportunity. And so you can trace back the beginning of the Plymouth Brethren to him. He has all of these accomplishments and most of us would say, who is George Mueller? Who is George Mueller? We've completed the first chapter of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' preaching in this sermon is so organized for us. He, he puts it together in, in ways that we can understand and we can take it in. And he's telling us that those, and those on the hillside, of course, how we are to live in his world how we are to have kingdom living, if we want to put it in those terms. That's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is. How do you live under God's world? He's now going to give us three illustrations here about the Christian's walk and how, it, uh, how we must be cognizant of that walk. And he's going to illustrate it by three things that we do quite often, or we should be doing quite often. Giving, praying, and fasting. 
Before I get there, I just want to go through that chapter 5 of Matthew so you have an idea of where, where we've come from. The beginning part of Matthew, the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, were the attitudes of the believer. This is the kind of attitudes that we need to have. You, you remember those are very, very clearly. Uh, we are to have... Um, Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who pour in spirit, blessed are those who are gentle. Those are the attitudes that we are to have. Then in uh, verses 5, 13 through 16, in chapter 5, 13 through 16, the actions of the believer, how we are to be salt in this world, and then at the same time, light in this world. And then uh, in verses 15, uh, 5, 17 through 48, He drills down here, Jesus does, gives us specific actions that we are to model uh, as a believer. Uh, Here we learn that righteousness was was greater, uh, needed to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, that those teachers of the word of God weren't the epitome of everything, but you had to go down deeper than even they were to be righteous, truly righteous, and he gives us those illustrations. Jesus is now going to give us three illustrations of specific responsibilities the specific responsibilities of believers. These are responsibilities we have before a righteous and holy God. And God knows our heart in all of these. Jesus is going to teach us that true righteous behavior of the believer is not to be put on display. It's something to be hidden. It's something that it needs to be seen specifically by God. And he knows each of our hearts. And he knows each of our reasons for doing things. He's going to do that in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. We're only going to look at a few verses today. But it's going to be with the the idea of the backdrop of the giving, the praying, and the fasting as those subjects. The activities of Jewish religion is what they really are. They're activities of the Christian religion religion as well. Let me read chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is a powerful portion of Scripture, folks. It's one that we don't look at very often, especially with the aspect of giving. Folks, the first passage on giving to the poor and others, these examples here, are a clarion call for us. It's a warning for us not to be self-righteous. That's what it's telling us, is not to be self-righteous. It is a warning against the idea of, of receiving your reward here on earth. And that's what will happen. If you give to be seen by others, look what I've done. You know, I, I built this church and I got my name on the outside of it. Or I've done this or I've done that. You've got your reward right there. It's done. It's over. 
You have no more reward after that. You don't give to be seen, folks. You don't give to be seen. And that's what Jesus is warning about here. Would you rather receive your reward, folks, here at Grace Community Church or from God himself? You know, it's, it's interesting, and I'm just going to give you a little backdrop even of giving at Grace Church. You know, you're not known by anybody in the accounting department. You're a number. You get changed to a number. Okay, I'm sorry to say that. Why? Because we don't want to do those kinds of things. We don't want to do those kinds of things. It's, it's really to keep the people who are doing that work to be ignorant of those who are giving. That's the idea. Because you don't want your reward now, today. You want it later. So it's not a difficult question to answer when I ask the question, do you want your reward now from Grace Community Church? You want it later. I don't, I don't think there'd be any question in your mind. Yet so many have the tendency, listen to this, so many have the tendency to want to be noticed now. They want to be noticed now. They want to be thanked now. They want to be admired now for their good deeds, or or why didn't anybody recognize when I did that, or why didn't anybody notice me when I did this? That's what we hunger for and thirst in our own human soul at times. But here in verse 1, the principle of the teaching of Jesus here is to beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. That's difficult, isn't it? That's difficult. Beware, by the way, is a command. It means to pay attention. Consciously avoid your self-righteous actions. Set aside your thinking of being noticed. Put that away. The right kind of thinking is that right the right kind of thinking is God honoring, it's glorifying, and that's what it should remain, not to be noticed. Is anybody looking? Is anybody watching me? Yeah, we have quite a bit of that. Give attention to your motives at times. Take, take, a, take a break and just sit back and say, what are my motives here? Make sure that they line up with what Jesus' motives would be. The warning is that you want, and you want it now. You selfishly want to be noticed. You know, I can remember as an unbelieving salesperson, I wanted to be noticed. I, I wanted my numbers to be higher and higher and higher because then my boss would slap me on the back and say, good, really appreciate that. He was making a percentage of what I was bringing in, but I mean, that's what you want because then he then starts offering you better positions. I just need to tell you this one little thing. He first offered uh, me to go to Houston, Texas to take that territory. I said, yeah, but I don't speak Texan. Then he said, how about Chicago, Illinois? I said, I don't have heavy winter clothes. I mean, I, I just didn't want to go. When he said California, when this is an unbeliever, my eyes lit up. I'm going to see some movie stars. And you know what? I see all the stars right here. My wife said to say that. <laughs> Beware of practicing your righteousness before meant to be noticed by them. Beware. Set aside your thinking of being noticed. That's not important to be noticed. The right kind of thinking is 
in a God-honoring, glorifying direction. Give attention to your motives. The warning is that you selfishly want to be noticed. That's what he's warning here. This word has the idea of play-acting. You're doing it for a reason. You're doing it so they would notice you. You're doing it for something that, folks, there's no or little sincerity for God, but only for the reason of being noticed. Self-gratification. How do I know that? Let's look at Luke chapter 18. This is a good example here. I know we probably have looked at this before, uh, not even that I've preached it, but Luke 18 is such a clear, clear picture of this, of what's going on. And in Luke 18, starting in verse 9, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. See, that's what that is. You're trusting in yourself. That they were righteous. I'm righteous because look what I do. And viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now remember, tax collector was the next thing to a Gentile dog. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I feel good about me. He has no problem with his self-esteem. Not a lick. Look what he does now. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. I could even say it this way. I go to church. Not only do I go to church, I go to Grace Community Church with John MacArthur as the pastor. I do all of this, and I do this, and I do this. I even go to Women Walking Wisely. Not me, but the women. (laughs) I, I do all these things. That's what he's basically saying. But the tax collector, that rotten, dirty dog of a sinner, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He's recognized who he really is. Where does that take us back to? The Beatitudes and recognizing your bankruptcy. That's what you have to do is recognize your bankruptcy. I tell you, this man went to his house justified. Saved is basically what that word means. Justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, that's the position of our heart. That's what it should be. Hard to get there, folks. I understand that. It's hard to get there. It's one of the most difficult things because you know what? And somebody comes along and thanks you for something. Boy, I really like that. I like that they they sent me a letter and thanked me for this, or they did this, or they did that. I need to do that again. Why do you think they sent you the letter? If you were to take the message of the Sermon on the Mount down to the very core, Jesus is saying this one thing, folks, and hear this rightly. Get rid of yourself. Get rid of yourself. Because this world is not about you. It's not about you. It's about him and what he's doing. Self is the ultimate issue here. From the Beatitudes to these religious illustrations, the believer is always and forever battling with self. What may appear to be a very selfless act of giving, praying or fasting, may be a very subtle way of self-gratification. They get something for it. Ed Welch wrote this book, 
And, and you got to hear the title of this book. I love the title. And that's the reason I bought it. And so then I started reading it. And the, the title is this. What do they think about me? Why do I care? What do they think about me? Why do I care? And of course, his premise there is that there's this battle that goes on in our flesh. We want acceptance. We want recognition. We want to stand out from others. And sometimes we do some ugly things to stand out from others. I sometimes think the the rebellion of children or young people is to stand out that they don't look like the rest of them. They want to be recognized. But why do I care so much about this? Why do I need to be noticed? We want significance. We want novelty. We want something to be different about us. And that's why I always think there's something new on the cutting edge of dress or whatever and being obnoxious and all of that kind of stuff is because they want to be recognized. The warning here for us as believers, though, is to always check your motives. What's going on in that heart? Why am I doing this? Why do I do what I do? The challenge is really to be honest with self before God. You have to take self before God and say, why am I doing these things? So often, though, we are controlled by the opinion of others. The opinion of others. Years ago, a young man came to me, and I may have mentioned this story before, but he came to me and he, he wanted to confess that he didn't know uh, about why he was doing ministry. He, he was having some personal trouble here. And he, asked, he said that he was struggling with the fact that uh, he didn't know if he was doing the ministry for himself or for God. I wish some preachers would do that. Yeah, there's a guy in Houston, Texas that I could talk, talk about that should do that. Is the ministry for me or is it for God? You know what? Just him coming to me told me something that he truly was doing it for the Lord, but he wanted to make sure it didn't cross over because he can so easily do that. He liked the idea that the young people would come up to him and, and they'd remember his name and they would thank him for doing the ministry. And, and he would ask himself, am I doing this for God or am I doing it for them coming to me? That was his struggle. Can I show you where I took him to, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? I wanted to encourage him because I believed that he was doing the ministry for the right reason. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul sets out and tries to talk about the idea of, of ministry and what we do it for and, and such. And he says in, in verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. As a, an apostle, he's bringing the gospel first to the Gentiles, and, and he's building churches and seeing that happen. But it's not about Paul. He's not going to leave his name on uh, Paul's cathedral. He didn't do that. Somebody else did that. He's not going to do that. But there'll be somebody else that comes along and does more and does better and all of that kind of stuff. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, 
or straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. My counsel to this young man was just do it. Do it. Don't be so self-focused and concerned about why you're doing it. Do it because God has called you to do it. And see that it's, an, it's a ministry in God's name and that he's the one that needs to get the accolades. He's the one who needs to get the cheers. All of those kinds of things. They don't play their music up here that you remember that they play the music. They did it so that we could sing worship songs to God. That's why they did it. All right. If each man's, where was I? I think I left off at uh, verse 14. If any man's work which he has done has built on it remains, he will receive reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. See, he's already saved. It's already saved. That's not the point. The point is, why am I doing why? Why am I doing this? What am I doing and why am I doing it? And so you need to keep that in mind, folks. You need to be encouraged. Just keep doing it because that's what the Lord has called you to do. You know, we were talking about doing ministry here, and I thank you, George, for doing that this morning. But, you know, I I think some of the most powerful and precious ministry is talking to somebody who comes in, and you ask them how their week was, and they tell you they had a problem. You're sitting there and praying with them. You sitting there and being concerned with them. You sit, you coming next week and you seeing them and asking them how is it coming out. That's ministry. That's ministry. You don't have to be able to play the piano or the drums or anything like that. Be ministering to one another in service towards one another. So this is the same message God is trying to get across here, I believe. Do you want to do what you do for God or do you want to do it for personal recognition? What's more important? What, what's more important? To be liked or to point to the glory of God? That's what we should be doing, is always pointing to the glory of God. Stop thinking so much about self and think about God and his majesty and his glory and, and his praise, and that's what you should be thinking about. Folks, Jesus previously commanded them to be more righteous than the scribes. The holy men of Israel, they were supposed to be more righteous. than. How can that, this be, that they would be more righteous than them? Notice, though, Jesus' implication here is not that you stop being righteous. That's not the idea that you stop being righteous. But that you practice it not before others. You're not practicing it before others. You're not doing it to be noticed by them. You're being noticed by God. We have a situation when we do in counseling. We've got this uh, going down the road, and you can go one way or the other. One way is towards Christ, and the other way is towards self. So what's the motive? Is it towards his glory, or is it towards me? And that's the choice you make each and every time. You make a sin, you, you, you do something, that's what you're doing. You're making a choice. Is it for Jesus or is it for me? Jesus is objecting to the believer who does the, the righteous deed for the wrong reason. 
They do the righteous deed for the wrong reason. He's wanting to be noticed. That's the wrong reason that you do things. In other words, this believer has a wrong motive for his righteousness. What it says here says practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Is that why you're doing it? That is a wrong reason to do anything. It is not all about you. It's not all about you. You know, when you're a little guy and you're playing baseball, you want to be standing out. You, you want to be the guy who gets the most hits, and makes the least errors, and all of this kind of stuff. You want to be on the all-star team, that kind of stuff. I understand that. But that's not baseball that we're playing here, folks. This is not a kid's game. This is for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take a, a, a deeper look, even, even at this, about this righteous practice. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew 5, 16 says this. 5.16 says this, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. <gasps> we got a problem here. we got a problem here. Wait, wait a minute. Over here he says don't practice this to be noticed by men. And over here he says let your light shine before men. Yes, I'm going to try to answer this. You want your neighbor, your unbelieving friend, maybe an unbelieving relative, to notice your good works, but not for the reason of patting you on the back. For the reason of being able to say, the only reason I, the only way I can do this is because of what he's done in my life. My mother, years and years and years ago, once said to us, so I don't know what you're doing, but your children are different than my other grandchildren. Your life is different than my other children's life. And I looked at her, I said, Mom, I had nothing to do with it. It's what God is doing. That's what we want to do. We want to point it back to the Lord Jesus Christ because it is what he's doing. Because if I had anything to do with it, it'd be a mess. That's what we have to remember. It's not us. If something good is coming out, it's what God is doing in you. Yes, you want to be able to show, let your light shine, but you're doing it for the right reason. It's for the glory in, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are wrong motives that we do things. They'll receive no heavenly reward and no recognition from the Lord. In Matthew 5, 16, this refers to your whole of your life. Not just three religious opportunities in the text. Now the last difference is that the one performing the religious activity of, of uh, giving is doing it for the explicit reason of being noticed by others. That's why they're giving at all. The difference here is in 6.1, these men perform their religious acts to be noticed by men. In 5.16, these acts are part of their inner life. That's what they think about. They want to do and they do it in secret because they love God, because they love his ways, because they want to bring him glory, because they want to bring him praise, and they want to bring him honor. I think back to that George Mueller story that I told. He got that 113 million pounds by not soliciting it, and he doesn't even know who gave it to him. It was just given over and over and over again. 
One is to attract attention to people, while the other is to attract attention to the Savior. That's what we ought to be doing. One commentator put it this way, and I'm going to quote him. Quote, perhaps no one sets out to be a hypocrite, because he's calling the one who's acting as a hypocrite, and that's what the, basically the passage is saying. The hypocrite may start well, doing good innocently. Later he thinks, it would be good for others to, that they knew what I do. My example will inspire them. Finally, he takes the steps to ensure that others see and praise his piety. He, we trade the goal of pleasing the Father for the goal of pleasing men. Let's move on to the Matthew passage, starting in verse 2 there. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That George Mueller story just sticks with me, and sticks right there. The benefits, the, the, the gifts that he got was anonymous. All that was happening in that man's life was anonymous because he was a man of prayer and God answered his prayers. Not for selfishness sake, but for glory to God. You see, God takes care of his people. God takes care of his ministries in extraordinary ways. When we give to the Lord's work, do we make a show of it? That's your reward. It's over. 6.2 says this, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. Notice in this passage there is an expectation, what? Of giving already. You already give to the needy. So when you give to the poor, do not stop. Just with the idea of you want to hide, you know, I shouldn't let anybody know. Now don't stop. That's not the idea. Just don't go about blowing your horn when you give. It's interesting how the um, passage uses that horn. I'm going to come back to that in a little while. But I want to take us first to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15, this Old Testament passage, tells us about God's care for the poor. God cared for the poor. You can see in passages where it says, don't take all of your crops, leave some of the crops there for the poor, that they may clean up after you and, and, and take whatever food is left. Yeah, but he gives some specific things here in the Deuteronomy 15 Verse 7, it says here, If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, if any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand before from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. If you have poor people, give to them. I've mentioned it before, we have the Deacon's Fund. That's one way of doing it. We take care of families here at Grace Church that way, where we can give them food, we can give them shelter, all kinds of things. That's the way it should be done. Verse 10, 
you shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your under, uh, undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, to and poor in your land. Freely open it. Give. Give. I know this is specifically talking about the poor, but give is what you're supposed to be doing. One of the most sacred responsibilities for the Jew was to give. And they did. When they went in the synagogue, they gave. But there were some who tooted their horn, let everybody know what they're doing and how much they're doing it. And there were some who went in and quietly put it in there. Whatever it was, little or much. The word for righteousness here, and I think you'll enjoy this, the word for righteousness that Jesus is, is using here, uh, in, in the Hebrew, okay, I want to say in the Hebrew, uh, is also the same word for almsgiving. They're both the same word. So when you give to the poor, you're doing a righteous deed there. You're doing a righteous thing. Jesus is telling his listeners and, and us to continue to give. Those who have needs, we should be taking care of them. Notice what it's also, it's talking about our brother, meaning within the context of the church, which in the body of Christ. The motivation for your action is key. It's the most important thing. It's to honor the Lord, not taking credit for yourself. Do not look for a wing in some hospital or some church to be named after you because of your generosity. So many people do that, and it's, it's offensive. I, you walk in a hospital and you see all of these names up there on placards and all of that. I like the one that says anonymous. I don't need to know who's done that. Jewish tradition had a specific time at the synagogue when they would receive the offerings for the poor, of course. And wouldn't you know it, the place where they used to put their offering was in a shofar-shaped receptacle to receive the offerings. Do you know what a shofar is? It's a horn. That's why Jesus is using this description. But you see, you could put it into the shofar and not make a big deal about it, or you can make uh, clanging because at the top it was a little bit wider and throw your coins in there and make a and that's what they would hear as it goes down the shofar. Or you could put it in a little bag and put it down the bag. There was no tax receipt, by the way. In the streets here, okay, sometimes, okay, in the streets, the hypocrite would raise his voice as he was giving to the poor that were out on the street. That's why this is in this particular text. He wanted to make a big show of it. He wanted to make, let everybody know that he was giving to the poor. By the way, the giving was done on Tuesdays and I think Fridays, and those were the two days when the people from the fields would come in and the city was even more crowded so that they could show off. That's why they did it. These were hypocrites. These were hypocrites. Then and now, we have hypocrites. They put on a big show. Um, they, they want to be noticed for their good works, for what they're doing in their community. 
Jesus is saying this, as the hypocrites, as the actors, as the phonies, do not display your righteousness like that. Sinclair Ferguson said this, and and this ought to stick out for all of us. Listen to it. He says, throughout this section of the sermon, our Lord hints that the real trouble with the heart of the hypocrite is that he does not know God as his heavenly father. That's a scary thought, isn't it? The hypocrite doesn't know God is his heavenly father. He is insecure before God and therefore seeks security in what his fellow man thinks about him. Yeah. Much easier to get that pat on the back from somebody that you can actually feel the pat on your back than know whether God was pleased or not. And so we go for that. We settle for less rather than more. 6.2, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. You see, they get all they deserve. They receive what is due in full. The applause of men and not of God. The word reward here is a technical word. It's for receiving in full and getting a receipt in return. The receipt is this, the praise of men. And it's over. It dissipates. It's gone. How do I know? Let's look at Mark 12. There's this little uh, vignette here. In Mark 12, starting in verse 41. Mark 12. Mark 12, 41 says this, he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. This is the place, the shofar, where they would bring the money. And many rich people were putting in large sums. How would you know that they were large sums? Big bags, noise, whatever it is. A poor widow came and put in two copper coins which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Because that's all she had. That's all she had. These men gave out of their excess. They didn't give out of their whatever they had. They gave out of their excess. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, but in all she owed, all she had to live on, owned and all she had to live on. Folks, that is a picture of the way we need to be doing. I'm not saying to give every single last penny, please. But that's the picture here. We do it for a reason. Verse 3 But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. (laughs) How do you do that? How do you do that? You got to work at that, folks. You got to work at that because I generally know what my left hand's doing and my right hand's doing. Generally. I mean, when I wake up in the early in the morning, I may not know. (laughs) Like I said this morning, where am I walking? Where am I going? (laughs) It's pretty dark on Sunday morning. You don't need to know what's going on with 
you're giving. And folks, now, at the other side of this, if you are giving to the church, you are giving to charities, you should get a receipt for that. Why? So that you can take it off in taxes. The Jews didn't have that. They didn't have taxes. Everything was taxed, and they had all, all of that figured out, and so there was no tax deductions. You have it. Take it so that next year you can give more to the church. I've been here for 39 years. The one thing I've never seen at Grace Church is a campaign to raise money. I've never seen the meter. You know, sometimes you go into church and they, and they get that little meter and it's going, yeah, we need to get this much, we need to get this much. And somehow they never get to the top. I don't know why. And, I, and folks, I've been here long enough to know some lean times. Uh, I, pff, I was here once when they came into a staff meeting and said four men have to leave the staff and, and go find other positions because they didn't have enough. They said, who's ready? Please put it on a piece of paper and, and hand it in and, and we'll make our decision. I said, well, I'm ready. I'm finished with school. I'm, I can go. I told my kids. You know what they said to me? Dad, leave the keys. Dad, leave the keys. They were in high school. The reason they said that is, you can go, Dad. We want to still go to high school ministry. They wanted to stay at the church. I said, but I'm ready to go. Okay, Dad, go ahead. <laughs> that was a little bit, uh, well, I know what they were saying there. They would have come with us because I would have tied them up and made <laughs> <clears throat> Here's the best reward for generosity, though. And it says it right in the text. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He's the one who knows. That's the one who we serve. We don't serve people. We serve God. Our Heavenly Father knows your heart. And he also knows your pocketbook. Can I say that? I don't know if that's purse, maybe. I don't know. Whatever ladies do, or wallet, or whatever. You see what, folks? He's already the owner of all of it. Haggai 2.8, and I love this, where God is speaking. He says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It's all his. It's all his. Deuteronomy 8.18. You need to remember this one when you get up tomorrow morning to go to work. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, but you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. He gives you the strength to get out of bed. He gives you the strength to study and to read and to go to school. All of that kind of stuff. He provides that way for you, not the government or anybody else. God does. Remember that. In a sense... The one who is looking for a reward never gets it. In a sense, the one who's looking for a reward never gets it. But if you're not looking for it, you happen to get it when you are welcomed into heaven. Beloved, I know there are so many needs out there in the Christian world. I, I hear about them. I have friends that are out there. Um, most of those needs appear to be legitimate. So how do you know where to give? How do you know who to support? Let me give you one suggestion. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16. And this is just a suggestion. And obviously, if you're at Grace Community Church, you probably do this already, but just want you to see this. And, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says this. On the first day of every week, guess what today is? First day. First day of the week. Each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. You put it aside and you give. Years ago when our kids were, were young, took one of my paychecks, cashed it out, wanted them to see what we did with our money, wanted them to learn the idea of giving to the church first. At the end, the kids looked at me and said, but we have nothing left. I said, oh, good. We can go save some milk bottles, some uh, plastic bottles and get some money. No, I mean, it, you, you don't have to have much, folks. You really don't. You can live differently. I don't need to go to Starbucks twice a day. I don't need to do all of the other things that are out there anymore. But you shall remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. He makes provision. I can't tell you how many seminary students have come to the master's seminary. They come to Southern California where gas is at five bucks a gallon and they, they're coming from three bucks a gallon. All of those things... And they leave and they said, I came with nothing and I, I go home and I actually have more money now. How did that happen? It happens because God provides. Whatever that means with regards to ministry opportunities, make sure when you are looking into ministries to support, investigate. Do some legwork. Make sure that they're legitimate. Don't just write a check and send it off in the mail. I mean, I get all kinds of things in the mail. I don't write to everyone and give them money. I want to know if it's legitimate. You see, God is building his kingdom, but he's doing it with sound thinking, productive thinking for his kingdom building, and he wants you to be thinking those ways. These are personal decisions. Can I say that as well? Nobody's going to go around and check how much you're giving. I do know of a pastor who did that once, not at this church, at another church. And I said, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you doing? These are personal decisions. If you're a married couple, you need to talk about it, discuss it, determine what is appropriate. I uh, know a woman who was getting an allowance from her husband. Um, 30 years of getting an allowance from her husband. She has all this money put away, which she invested, and she's made a bundle of money, and she gives it to the church like crazy. I'm going, that was just simple, taking something little, making it into much. We live too high. We could live a lot lower. Second Corinthians chapter 9, this is the most important thing to know about giving. You don't want to be noticed by others. You want to be noticed by God. This is how he notices you. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says this. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. So if you said you're going to do it, you should do it. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
You don't give and say, oh, I don't, I don't have anything this week and, and complain or, or anything else. I, I can't go to Starbucks, you know, big deal. Uh, you can join me. I don't go to Starbucks either. There's no reason to go to Starbucks. Folks, God wants a cheerful giver. He wants you to give because you want to give. Not even because you want to receive that reward in heaven from him. He wants you to give because you want his work to continue and you want his work to grow. Let me pray. Father, just thinking of this first subject of giving. The next one in this text is praying and the last one is fasting. Lord God, these are important subjects for us to learn about in the religious field, in, the, in working out our salvation with fear and trembling and in trying to be good Christians and trying to be people who follow after God. I pray, Lord God, that uh, we continue to grow in these areas, that you will give us grace and mercy as we live out this life. To your glory, to your praise, to your honor, in your name, amen.